Welcome to the New Mana Podcast, an Arch KCK production. Welcome back to New Mana, your newest favorite Catholic podcast on the Holy Eucharist. My name is Lee McMahon, your host, and I serve as consultant for evangelization at the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. But don't be fooled. If you've got a pulse, this podcast is for you. If you are hungry for more, if you're fed up with the empty promises of the world, Jesus has more for you. Our title, New Manna, comes from John 6, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. Jesus is the New Manna, the bread of life, and he gives himself totally to us in the Holy Eucharist. Each episode of New Manna will consist of two things, Eucharistic testimony from clergy and lay leaders, followed by a heartfelt conversation about a bite-sized portion of a papal document pertaining to the Holy Eucharist. It sounds like an mouthful. Bark, bark. Dogs are in the house. So today, I have the pleasure of being joined by a husband and wife combo, Deacon Dana and Debbie Niermeyer. Welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. Right? Exciting to be here. I am so happy to be in your kitchen. <laughs> it's good to have you in our kitchen. <laughs> So for all for all the listeners out there who who don't know y'all, who is um, let's do ladies first. Debbie, who is Debbie Niermeyer? Debbie Niermeyer is a child of God, doing her best to uh, bring the light of the Christ to her family, to the people she meets. Uh, somebody who just wants to live in God's will, and how I get to do that is I'm a mother of five. I'm a grandmother of five nice. and a wife to Deacon Dana. Uh, I get the privilege of serving as co-director at Camp Tekawitha. And what is what is that? Camp Tekawitha is a camp for young people and families in the Archdiocese of Kansas City and Kansas that exists to connect kids and families to the heart of Jesus Christ. Mm. Uh, it's located in Williamsburg, Kansas. It's a total blast. And we get to work with whole lot of college students every year to help them mm -hmm. pass on the faith to young people and to families. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, I also get to work as the vice president of faith and mission at St. James Academy, where I get to work with adults and teens and families and passing on the faith. And St. James is a high school in the area, right? In Lenexa, Kansas. Yes. Right on. Yeah. yeah go thunder. I was asking somebody about this the other day, like um, what is an individual mascot version of <laughs> of St. James called. I'm a thunderite. I'm a, I'm a thunderer. I'm a thunder. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. <laughs> it's a faith. Uh, so who is Deacon Dana Niermeyer? Deacon Dana Niermeyer. I am the director of evangelization for the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas and work with a team of amazing people um, trying to equip parishes, organizations, and individuals you know, uh, with the heart of missionary discipleship and uh it's just an incredible uh thrill to work with archbishop nauman he's so clear in his priorities and his, his faithfulness is so inspiring and uh get to work with debbie at camp and raising our kids uh in a community of faith amen is there any hat that you don't wear i i'm not a really hat guy <laughs> not a big hat guy not That's a so big good. Guy. It's so good. Um, so, I mean, well, thanks for just being here. I mean, you're, we're in your house, so thanks for being in your house and uh, for, for being on the show. Um, I mean, everybody has a story, 
right? Everybody has their own story, but everybody also has their story of Jesus working in and through them and with them. So take us back to the beginning. Um, what was it like for you guys in the beginning? Um, like, what's the story? What's your love story with Jesus look like? Uh, well, I was raised uh, not Catholic and my uh, grandpa was an elder in our church and him and I were exceptionally close. And I went to church with him minimally three times a week mm. and uh, he had a really fun Cadillac and I used to ride nice. on the seat rest and he told me that he'd had it custom installed and it was my seat so I could be at his <laughs> level next to him. And, and you I, believed it. I believed him for a long time. <laughs> I, really, I might still believe him. And uh, so we just, you know, and we would go to church like crazy, but then we would just talk about God mm. nonstop and he sang in his car all the time and we prayed just all the time. And it was, it was really, it was really blessed. So I, I really did grow up knowing Jesus and being really tight with him, but I didn't, um, until one day I was, uh, kind of chasing this beautiful girl mm. ended up marrying. It's a good thing. Hey, right on. It was a great thing, uh, over to Leewood middle school for mm. mass. And she needed to go to mass before we went on a date with her her mom wanted her to be at mass and uh father tom tank happened to be in the room and he was preaching a homily mm. on babette's feast he'd seen this movie uh and it's an art house film pretty obscure lots of subtitles about a french cook who makes this extraordinary meal that costs a year's wages mm. Uh, for a group of people that she cares about. Mm. And uh, he likened that to the Eucharist. And I knew I was in big, big trouble because <laughs> I was, a yeah, I was sort of a, a Protestant minister in training. Mm. And yeah, that, that began my journey towards the Eucharist. Cool. So what was the, what happened after mass? You, you proposed on the spot or what happened in <laughs> No, no, I wasn't allowed to do that. It was an early date. I didn't know know it was a date. (laughs) Okay. We actually had to pick up a lot of chairs and put them all away. And that's what happened after mass because, yeah, we were in a middle school lunchroom. Mm. So after picking up the chairs. Yes. um, What was the next like stepping stone, if you will, in your in your story of like coming to the. It was kind of like Tuesdays with Maury. I would go over to Father Tank. I just I went up to him and I said, hey, I want to talk to you about that film sometime. And he goes, how about Tuesday? You know, Tuesday afternoon at four. So I I came over for months uh, to his house and we and I asked him crazy questions. He asked me crazy questions and the wildest things he kept answering mine. Mm. And I didn't expect that. And, uh, you know, a year or two later, I uh, was in his living room because we didn't have a church at the time. Right. Being confirmed. And no uh, way. Yeah. Power, powerful stuff. Had my first Eucharist in the living room, in the living room of the rectory. Come on. Yeah. It's beautiful. Debbie. Take us back to the beginning for you. Wow, we got to go back a long way. <laughs> uh, I I have been Catholic my whole life. Uh, my parents are, I would say, generally really good rule followers. So mm. um, they both had a, a relationship with the church, um, maybe more than a relationship with God, as I could see mm, it as a child. Sure. Uh, but we didn't we didn't miss mass on Sundays. You did not spend the night anywhere on Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. You had your tights on and your Mary Janes and your dress and you were in the car ready to head to 
mass mm-hmm. that started at nine o'clock. I had a really cool experience at Cure of Ours, um, the parish that we were at. Uh, they had started what they called a family mass. This was mm-hmm. the 70s. Love it. And uh, there were a whole lot of families who went to this mass. We met in the basement of the church, of the school, mm-hmm. excuse me. And we sat, you're, you're given a small group, basically. There were 10 families that we sat with in a circle. And the adults were in the big chairs and the kids were in the little chairs. Mm-hmm. And uh, several times a year, your small group was in charge of the music or the readings or set up or tear down or the selling of fluffy fresh donuts at the end of mass. Nice. Uh, it's a privileged role. Such a privileged role. Mm. But your group, so everybody in your small group would be involved in the mass. You know, mm. there was there was a job for everybody. Uh, if you couldn't read yet, then you got to bring up the gifts. If you could, yeah. you know, you'd, you'd listen to a, or you'd, you'd pray uh, the petition. So, and then after that, the parents stayed for some sort of formation and the kids went to CCD. Mm. Uh, that was, that was church for me. And we did every sacrament uh, for every person in that group my whole life. Mm. So, um, and now we're, we're going to funerals of some of those people and we continue to be connected in that. What I didn't know at the time was that this Jesus that I was very close with in my heart uh, was translating in that same Jesus yeah. in the Eucharist. Uh, and it took a long time. And in my high school and early college years, I was trying to flee the Catholic church. Mm. I didn't, wasn't finding my answers there. I was a, a why girl. I had a lot of questions yeah. and people weren't answering my, my questions, but my Protestant brothers and sisters were, and they were speaking about this friendship with Jesus. And that mm. was something I knew in the depth of my being, because I had walked with him in that way since I was very small. Right. Uh, but I didn't always have the language for it. And actually, um, in Dana's kind of converting, there was reverting for me because a lot of my questions were being answered. Mm. And his excitement for the faith um, illuminated some things for me. So cool. Yeah. I think that's so it's, it's a lot more common. I think we give ourselves credit for just like having a I think it's 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 pretty common to have a, a tighter relationship with religion um, than it is with Jesus. But like it's it's both because a religion would like. Jesus without religion is is like it's Jesus untied. It's 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 unbound to anything. It's it's like because um, that's what religion means to 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 literally to bind like mm-hmm. um, like uh, to tether something mm-hmm. to uh, something else. And yeah, it's just like a it's a fallen word for um, a divine principle. But I think uh, that sounds you know right in line with a lot of what uh, most other people might be experiencing or have experienced before. So, mm-hmm. you know, Lee, we had, uh, we had amazing experiences at nativity and with father tank. And then he asked us to start a camp. Mm. And so, uh, father will let, uh, archbishop Kelleher decided that we should have a recently, uh, released Navy guy who'd done six years of Navy come help us run camp. And, uh, it was, it was awesome and very providential, but, uh, he was ex- he was teaching us about Eucharistic adoration mm-hmm. and neither one of us had ever done it. Right. And no, cause the first time was it in 96. Oh, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In, in Mesa, Arizona, right. and that was powerful, really powerful. Well, the next time I did it was with father. Willette, who was not 
father. He was not Father Willette. He was just Navy guy Willette. <laughs> and he, it, it was amazing. We were on the floor of the Grange Center on a, on a concrete floor and the monstrance was there and we were praying. And one of the songs we sang, it said, are you Lord God Almighty? And I said, are you? And the voice back was, what do you think? And I'm like, <laughs> oh man, I know that oh. voice. But I, I, I think that's so powerful that uh, for so many kids in the diocese and especially in those early years, yeah. um, Father Willette and the camp and, you know, the other, the folks that were going to Steubenville, we just, a lot of us fell kind of into Eucharistic amazement, right. didn't have the language for that at the time, but realized that the Lord was really with us yeah. in, a, in a concrete way. How long have you been at St. James? I, I don't know. 18 years. So yeah, you've been around the block a time or two with, with St. James and like working with kids and especially with camp. Like I know camp has touched countless hearts, um, but just like what role has the Eucharist played in um, the heart of our youth and uh, like in this area, in, in camp, in St. James? Like how have you seen the Eucharist just come and just blow it up? Yeah, that's exactly what we've seen. <laughs> cool. That, uh, you know, I think even for us, uh, our experiences before the Lord, the power. It's so easy to be a skeptic. Mm. Like what, the, that cracker? What? Yeah. Uh, that's a real pretty um, display up there, but what's what's going on? Uh, and I think, think when you open your heart and you resign yourself to, um, to just be quiet and yeah. be open, what power overtakes your life. And I just... I've been so moved. My heart has been uh, just really stretched, I think, as I've gotten the great gift of watching so many be connected to Jesus through the Eucharist yeah. and, and Eucharistic adoration. I mean, we, we work really hard to provide places for kids to encounter, for adults right. to encounter the Lord because we know he is with us and we know he is working and we know mm -hmm. it's his work, not ours. But to, to hear kids year after year at camp say, no, no, no. What, what changed for me was I heard God in adoration. What mm -hmm. changed for me is I saw the movement of the Holy spirit yeah. in that room. What changed for me is the person next to me who had such a hard heart after an hour in front of the monstrance, their heart and their mind was changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I could give you story after story, but I would right. say my own story is just what a gift it is to be near someone when they yeah. encounter him. Yeah. You know, Archbishop Kelleher and Monsignor Tank helped us uh, form camp and gave us some marching orders. And both of them, really pushed that there was a, a a profound intimacy that christ offered and that you know in in providing his body and blood and the sacrifice on the cross and then manifesting himself for us in the eucharist and uh, we've just that that's what we've done that's what we did from the very beginning at camp and so many people um just highlighted that and had even more uh, exposure to that. Lots of our early staff were just, you know, on the forefront of, of kind of this Eucharistic movement in right. the church. And it's amazing. And then I got to be in the room, I think one of the first days that we were designing St. James Academy 
and, and the architects and then a number of the key people. And they said, we want absolutely the chapel to be the center. Mm. We want to, we want the highest roof line to be the chapel. We want uh, to place the monstrance on a rock that permeates the wall because mm. the power of the Eucharist can't be held within a building or Come a on. structure. Come on. Yeah. Amen. And, um, you know, I, I'd say, I would get her to say anything that we've done that was positive, period, <laughs> had to do with helping people find intimacy with the Lord mm. and then being Catholic um, and Jesus being so easily prevalent in the yeah. Eucharist that, that that's been kind of the bedrock of all we've done. Mm. You know, I think even for our own family, we we say this a lot. It's been such a privilege for us to get to be a part of these ministries. And sure. it all started for us at church and nativity and doing youth ministry there and the relationships that were born. Uh, but to see our own children kneel um, in front of the Lord and to see them open themselves and leave their hearts, mm. right? There's just, yeah, it's like, Oh yeah, that's why, that's why God loaned you to me. So I can get you help to get you back to him. Yeah. And one of the things as a mom so often, and even maybe even harder being married to a deacon, because I was not for that actually, because I did not want to be, <laughs> I didn't want people judging us in the pew because yeah, we're pretty real. We're real. Oh, we're yeah. kind of a mess, yeah. you know? And then people are like, oh no, the deacon's family's a mess. But uh, the worst moments of my week are, preparing to go to mass to get my family yeah. in the car and to get there. Honestly, right. Totally same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, and, and I really believe it's a, it's a work of, you know, the darkness trying yeah. to get, to get in there. But man, if we can overcome that and a lot of, a lot of Sundays, that's hard to do. Um, and you know, people are bickering at each other and I don't, I don't know if that mm. happens in other people's families, but after you leave, right, you take communion, you leave mass. Yeah. And everybody's different in the car. Yeah. Everybody's different. And even if it's just for a few minutes, right? Even if it's just for a few minutes, mm -hmm. people who are mad at each other an hour before are having a cordial conversation. Mm -hmm. You can't deny the power. Uh, and so it's so easy to, um, when we pay attention, to point yeah. that out. But to be reminded as a mom, my, my job is to get you connected back with him. Mm. I don't know what got me off on that tangent. No, I love it. That's not a tangent at all. That's, that's your life with the Eucharist today and, and raising of a family and like family life's messy. And anybody who, you know, doesn't have a, a messy family, like at times even just like, come on. <laughs> yeah. I see that with my four-year-old. It's funny. I, um, we get back from communion, right. And he's like, okay, okay, daddy is, is mass over now. And he's like, you know, toddlers don't say anything quietly. And you know, everybody in the, you know, the 10 foot radius around us is like, okay, that's adorable. And like, come on, get it together. You know? <laughs> So many of our brothers and sisters um, in the world, some might be listening to this podcast, some not, doesn't matter. But like, we know just like statistically that, you know, almost 70% of everybody in our pews, um, in our church that, you know, identify as Catholic, don't uh, actually believe in the, in the real presence uh, of Jesus in the Eucharist. So I was just wondering, what, what would you, what would you share to anybody who might be on the fence about the real presence in the Eucharist, anybody who might be struggling to wrap their head or their heart around this, uh, this like central truth of our faith. I just, uh, two things, I guess, um, father Pennings, father Gary Pennings been a big mentor to me. And he, he, he would, he prays a lot outdoors when he prays best. 
and 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 he likes best at in mountains which we don't live near at all but uh to silence his head because he's got a lot going on in his head and i i i've been so moved by watching people experience uh temporary silence and watch God flood in. Uh, doesn't seem like silence is something that's uh, real common uh, because if we actually do quiet our hearts, uh, God's voice becomes present. And one thing that we've learned over the years and something that we kind of follow and even kind of learn from a, a, a Protestant leader here in town is just to create environments where conversion is likely to set up an experience and you know what better than the eucharist sure where where there's a silence and a space and calm and then allow god to do his thing so yeah. i i'm i yeah i i i wonder how many of those people those 70 percent, have taken time just to get quiet mm. and uh, i think that that's uh yeah yeah super beautiful even those like not in the 70 or whatever you know like Come on, you know, it's like I, I struggle at being quiet, like turning my brain off during prayer. Um, a cool tip that I got once upon a time was just to, you know, start small, whether it be five, 10, whatever minutes, um, maybe even just two, like nothing, truly just nothing. Put your phone in another room, take a, a little and take a little, uh, little journal, like a small little pocket journal or something. And if anything comes into your head that is like, oh, I got to do this. I just write it down and I, I throw it at the wall and then I pick it back up if anything else comes to me or whatever, but just so that I, I can just put it out of mind, out of sight and just like try and get back into the Lord. Like the Lord knows we're human. He knows, it's not like there's nothing new in his sight, but that's helped really helped me kind of just like turn the intellectual in me off uh, to just be like relational with the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I think that word is key relationship. Uh, was talking with a friend the other day and they said, you know, you, you talk about Jesus' friend all the time. But when I grew up, we watched Charlton Heston and God was mighty mm. <laughs> and a father. And that's the only way I know how to address him as mm. a mighty father. I'm like, okay, well, let's start there. Yeah. Let's start there. Uh, but I, for me, a lot of times it's hearing the stories of others who have had an encounter that's been life-changing that helps me see differently. Mm. My mother has Alzheimer's and it's, it's been a really hard road and she loves the Lord. Mm. And the other day she was really agitated, really having a hard time. And I was doing everything I could to calm her down. And I said, let's, let's pray. And I, we brought her the Eucharist and literally two minutes after she took communion, she was asleep. Mm. This agitated, worrying, struggling woman. And then just this peace. And mm. yeah, people can say, well, you know, you're making connections that aren't there. No, I, I'm making connections with reality that mm. um, the God of love and the God who is the father of my mom, who is the friend of my mother, who wants her peace more than me, mm. uh, allowed for that through yeah. through his body. And and I think it's just paying attention and looking at this through the view of a relationship with a person. Yeah. 
changes it for me. For sure. I, I, I just think about like last night, my two-year-old daughter was like, hi, I'm just going to go on a lower brain episode. And it's just like parenting, whatever has taught me a little bit about neuroscience and that just being like the parts of the brain and what they do. The lower part of the brain is like the, the normal, like animalistic behaviors, things that are just like when someone has a, a I don't know, what would you, a tantrum, like a, a toddler just like can't drop something. Like it's just lower brain and it takes over. They do this weird breathing thing where they just like don't breathe like a normal human being and they, they just freak out and they're wailing and crying and stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like how much I want to console my daughter in that moment. Uh, like how much more the Lord wants to do that with us mm -hmm. at all times. Yeah, I had, um, I was diagnosed with lymphoma a few years ago and was doing chemo and radiation mm -hmm. and you wake up occasionally in those times and you're pretty terrorized you're pretty yeah. your mind's kind of blown and i i've developed a prayer that i've used extensively since then and i just you know had no strength no no uh, will to really desire a certain thing and i just said to god i'm your little boy uh, take care of me I, yeah. I don't i don't know what to pray for just just be my dad and uh it's so beautiful. I had to do that uh, earlier this week. Just woke mm -hmm. up in the middle of the night. Just so many things on my head. And I'm come here, little boy, take care of me. Yeah. And and it's palpable. And you ask, like, what would you say to people? I'd say, ask God if he's if he's real, mm -hmm. because you're not going to believe it till he tells you. Yeah. But 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 listen, really listen. If you're going to ask that question, be ready and listen, because uh, I I, on, I believe he'll show up. Amen. I think that listening piece is really important. It's something that God's really put on our hearts over the years to learn to listen and to teach people to listen. Yeah. Because if we're in relationship, we know God's talking, but we don't know what his voice sounds like. Sure. Sometimes it sounds like our own. Yeah. Sometimes it, it sounds like a person who loves us deeply and is looking out for us. And sometimes... Our, our very dear friend, Father Al Rockers, was teaching us how to teach people to pray. Mm. He said words 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 <laughs> and he said it over and over and over again it took a really long time and he's like god is so smart but we just we just fill him with words yeah he goes don't teach him he said teach him how to listen yeah it's yeah. been so powerful for us the lord he's, he's super practical too like I, i've seen in my own life just um asking jesus a direct question yes is, is really helpful it's super helpful yeah because like otherwise i'm just like um, you know, like otherwise it's just like, I'm, I'm, I've got my email open and I'm just waiting, yeah, waiting for that email to come. Like, come on, Lord, just send me an email. Um, like a, send me a download that I can just like pour into my soul. But like every time I've done that, I've gotten like nothing. And it's just like my, my mind keeps running. My mind keeps racing and I can't just like shut off my, my brain. But if I ask Jesus a direct question, like, Lord, what do you think about X, Y, Z problem? Or like, what do you, what do you want to tell me about my fatherhood right now or like lord what what's your plan for me this coming week or next month or what do you think about this this thing that's been like really just giving me a ton of anxiety or whatever it's like the lord's gonna speak directly into that mm -hmm. yeah it's just uh i've seen mountains move in, in my own life uh through just like honest prayer being just totally transparent with them because he already knows anyway you know just being like lord i don't want to be here right now i do not care right now he'll honor that yeah the, the the best prayer that we can pray is the most honest one uh because it's the most real because jesus just wants us uh, as we are but 
he loves us enough to not leave us as we are. You know, we've done youth ministry and, and worked with young people a lot, but we've also um, had to navigate our own marriages and then worked with other people. But I, I just, I think it's, Debbie frequently tells people, I love Jesus way more than Dana. And, and I love that. I love that. And, and, and I say the same thing, uh, in the opposite that, that, um, to have a marriage, uh, and have it work a Christian marriage, but each party needs to be independently like connected to the Lord and working through their own stuff and finding their comfort and those supernatural needs in the supernatural, uh, father. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, I think I, I just, it hurts my heart to watch people struggle when they ask, uh, their spouse to do the things that God's supposed to do in their life. Mm -hmm. And then they blame their spouse and they get, you know, it really puts horrible tension and yeah. disappointment into their lives. So, you know, I, I think that that's that intimacy with the Lord individually, um, is a catalyst to create intimacy with each other. For sure. Yeah. The, the only other thing I, I might add that I've seen connect with people is God's a gentleman. He's not going to push his way in. Dana has this uh, image that has, has been passed down in his family. And, and a lot of people have seen it, but it's Jesus knocking on a door, right? But there's no handle on his side of the door. Mm -hmm. He's, but could Jesus walk through that door? Yes. He could break down that door yep. if he wanted, but he's a gentleman and he, he waits for the in invite, but he's yeah. there and he's waiting. And I think, what I've seen to be really powerful is to give people permission to be open, to give people permission to not, you can be skeptical, mm -hmm. but maybe for a minute, let, let down your guard yeah. and, and be open and just see what, what might happen. And when we've asked that of people, I've seen not surprising, right. But yeah. the, these great, wonderful works that our God does right. that some are just very simple and some are miraculous, but to, to allow ourselves to be open and cared for by yeah. our creator and our father, that's scary. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think encouraging each other to do that. I also had a friend who went through the RCIA process and she's a Christian who knows scripture and she's so good about she, every morning. She says, my family knows I need my Jesus time. And if I don't get my Jesus time, it's going to be a bad day. And y'all need to stay out of the dining room. True. I need my Jesus time. Right. And when we were going through the RCIA process, I knew we were coming up on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh Lord, Holy spirit, come. I keep my mouth shut. Cause I, I, I don't want to mess this up. Anyway, they did the teaching and they said, share, you know, with your person. And she looked at me and I said, what do you think? And she goes, uh, what do I think? Right there in the Bible in John 6, it says he's, he is the Eucharist. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with Jesus. It's right there. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> Jesus said it. I'm in. Right. For some of us, that's, you know, that's, that's beautiful. That was yeah. such a great example to me. I, I don't always read scripture and think like, yeah. oh, I'll do that. I love, I love how he doubles down to at the end of that that chapter. He says, what are you guys going to leave to? He looks at his disciples yeah. and they're like, and Peter, classic line, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words yes. of everlasting, everlasting life. life. Yeah, like um, he was willing to lose everything. He yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. He threw it down. But yeah, now might be a good moment to transition into our, our the second part of our conversation today about sacramentum caritatis, 
this this awesome document that uh, our late uh, Holy Father Pope Benedict the Sixteenth wrote uh, in two thousand seven. Yeah, so just a, a quick uh, refresher for people. Pope Benedict the Sixteenth he wrote this for two purposes. He wrote it to offer some basic directions uh, aimed at a renewed commitment to Eucharistic enthusiasm and fervor in the church. He tried to get people hyped up. Okay, that's what that first one means. Second one was to encourage all to deepen their understanding of the relationship between the Eucharistic mystery, the liturgical action, aka Mass, and the new spiritual worship which derives from the Eucharist as the sacrament of charity. So basically, he wants to get you hyped up, and he wants to put fuel in your gas tank to to uh, to learn and to, to, to sink your roots deeper down into um, this, this capital T tradition of our amazing faith. And today we're going to be focusing in on paragraphs 70 through 83. So if you're reading along with us, um, that's where we're at. Well, this weekend we had a deacon formation uh, class and uh, Dr. Bergsma was uh, teaching that class. And it was the first uh, session was on the Old Testament. And he was he was making a point about how um, how that so many times the um, in the Greek philosophers and then the pagan philosophers throughout history have have always portrayed gods or the gods as um, as these predators on humanity mm. and that humanity is very low and worthless and and doesn't have um, dignity and um, and. You know, St. Augustine says in, in 70 there, it's quoted, it says, I am the food of grown men. He's thinking, he says that he thinks that the Lord might say, I am the food of grown men and you shall feed upon me, nor shall you change me like the food of your flesh into yourself, but you shall be changed into me. And, and Dr. Bergsma kept, um, kept focusing on the fact that the Lord, instead of being a God that eats his children, uh, like the Greek gods, that he's a God that feeds his children and, and he's not diminished by it in any way. He's, he actually, uh, lifts his children up and he calls us brothers and sisters, not slaves. And I, I think this Eucharistic food in, um, in the economy of salvation, it's, it's so incredible. Um, that we're transformed by this food and that Christ nourishes us. It says a little later in there that Christ nourishes us by uniting us to himself and that he continually draws us into himself. God is continually drawn. I think it goes back to that intimacy we were talking about earlier yeah. that, that the Lord doesn't want space between us. Right. Yeah. And the fact that we, everything else we eat, Right. I, I don't become an egg when I eat an egg, right? right? Everything, it becomes me. It's the only thing that we eat that we become it. Mm -hmm. And and I think the, I don't know, the great realization that I am becoming like God, I am becoming yeah. him and living in that blessed life yeah. that he has. Uh, but me, this tiny little worthless woman who lives in Olathe, Kansas, right? Mm -hmm. Who, who cares? The creator of the universe yeah. made it so that I would be special enough to become him. Yeah. What? <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, um, a blood transfusion. Mm. It's like, um, 
yeah, it's like, I mean, it, this is truly Jesus, right? I mean, we get a, we get a, a divine DNA transfusion. Everything else we we tear apart and break down so that we can make it become us, right? But yeah, uh, and he says that I I made you in my image, and it says that a bunch of times. But I I'm coming to this uh, merging realization that every time we take the Eucharist, we're created, recreated in His image. Come on, that we just keep we keep uh, yeah our creations emerging as we wake up to our divinity yeah mm -hmm. that was something that I, I wrote down was in 72 paragraph 72 he says living in accordance with the lord's day so sunday uh, it is defined by something more than a simple um the, the simple suspension of one's ordinary activities he says it's a it's a sort of parenthesis in one's usual daily rhythm yes but it's a restoration of life uh participating in in that which restores life gives life sustains life he says that to worship God in our lives cannot be relegated to something private and individual, but tends to permeate every aspect of our existence. So it's like, yeah, I wrote down recreation as well. Like, I mean, recreation, like we talk about right. going to the rec. It's like right. recreation, like we're recreating reality every time we receive Holy Communion. Amen. Yeah, that same uh, on 72, it, it uses the words awareness of the liberation brought by Christ. Yeah. Awareness of the liberation brought by Christ. I, I'm just blown away trying to do evangelization that what we're actually selling is freedom. We're actually selling yeah. uh, this, this divinity and yeah. we're called to transcend. We're, we're called um, as a deacon, I'm especially um, just racked by uh, saying the words when I when I prepare the chalice for the priest I pour in the wine and then add the water and say these words by the mystery of this water and wine may we come to share in the divinity of Christ who humbled himself to share in our humanity yeah that that this co-mingling of humanity and divinity is what it's our it's our inheritance Mm. and uh there's a there's this incredible freedom in that yeah you know uh i was just drawn as i was reflecting on this that you know our citizenship on earth is a temporary citizenship yeah uh, uh and and god even lets us have belonging here in the in eucharistic community yeah uh, but, but that he's preparing us to be in a heavenly community and that we participate in that, in the same feast that, that, that is in heaven. Yeah. And, uh, I, I just, I love that God doesn't leave us alone. God right. doesn't abandon us. It's not right. a God that abandons. Yeah. It's not like he dropped a care package and said, good luck. Exactly. No, it's some, it's so much more than that. And I love your, your, the, the image in, in revelation is that it's not just a wedding in heaven. It's not a wedding. It's a wedding feast. Mm -hmm. It's a party. Okay, the drinks are flowing. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're we're singing. You know, we're we're dancing. It's it's a like a true celebration. I think just think of the best, coolest wedding that you've ever been to. To me, it's still my own wedding. I think it's been awesome. It was just a dance party with a bunch of college kids, and we had beer and pizza. Like that was our food. Okay, you know, no five course meal, um, but it was it was such a a party, and no one was ashamed. Nobody was ashamed to dance, to to um, to rest in that moment together. It was it was so beautiful, um, yeah. And and just this kind of continuing in that stream of like what, um, yeah, like the Eucharist is. I mean, 
In paragraph 70, he says, uh, the Eucharist as the sacrifice of Christ is also the sacrifice of the church and thus of all the faithful. So it's like, it's actually our sacrifice too. Mm -hmm. um, like, yeah, we're not, we're not all able to co-mingle the, the, uh, the species together. Right. But um, we, it's our, it's, it's our sacrifice too in a, a unique and, and different way. Um, and he goes on, he says, this insistence on sacrifice, sacra uh, meaning holy, and then fice meaning like the Latin is, is to, to make um, facere or whatever it is. I don't know what the, I'm not a Latin expert or whatever, but like to make holy, like that's what it means to sacrifice something for, you know, a sacrifice is making something else holy. Anyway, he's, he literally says that a, a making sacred expresses all the existential depth implied in the transformation of our human reality as taken up by Christ. Um, I don't know. It just, it made me think of um, when we receive the Eucharist, it's, it's, a, it's a recreative act, right? It's a holy recreation. It's a holy recreation. And what does he, what does Pope Benedict mean by that? I think he, he's pointing toward um, every time we receive the Eucharist, it's a, it's a moment that we reclaim the victory that Jesus Christ has already won for us and in us. And it's a, it's a moment which we get to come into a radical agreement with this truth. And from that, make the active decision to go and reveal it to the world through our renewed, Amen. recreated self. Amen, brother. Yeah, it's like, um, I mean, Galatians 2.20, right? You know, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like that's the middle the middle of that of that verse the full, mm -hmm. the full the full verse goes i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but christ who lives in me and the life that i live now in the flesh i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me like i want everything that i do to to, to manifest that to demonstrate that right on mm -hmm. oh come on jesus well and i think that you said it the word amen right the binding moment in mass that a lot of times I have to really focus myself when it's time to go receive because yeah. it's so easy to go through the motions. Right. And it's so easy to just do what we do, but yeah. to take a moment and recognize that I am going to consent yeah. to the reality just by the word. Amen. I am going to agree wholeheartedly yeah. in this reality. And I hold myself to the standard that uh, I need to be aware of this yeah. so that the work that God wants to do in me, there's fertile ground and I'm in, I'm in agreement. Amen. I, I think of the great amen as like, um, I'm just reminded of like the last World Cup goal that uh, Bappe scored for France. And just, or just like, not just that, but like any, any major goal ever, you know, the, the announcer is just like, what do they do? when somebody scores a goal because one in soccer it doesn't happen all the time you know it's like sometimes it's just a marathon but like what do they do they i'm not going to do it in the microphone yeah, because you yeah. know <laughs> you know what it is they yeah. just scream right goal right and it's like the entire stadium erupts or at least half of it depending on who's you know who's playing but like um the announcer of that game actually went a little yeah. crazier when messi scored his last goal because he's argentinian <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so he lost his mind right and he it's did. just like that's the like that's what my heart i feel like does at, at the great amen you, you know, know you say the great amen yeah. and um in in there's a great mental illness in the united states and i think in the world uh where 
um, as seven in 79, it says secularization with its inherent emphasis on individualism has its most negative effects on individuals who are isolated and lack a sense of belonging that, that the great amen is this, it's a synchronization of the community rallying around the identity of the Lord and, and, and there's belonging in that. And, and I, uh, freedom that we talk about in the Eucharist, so many in the world, a secular view of that is that we're giving up our will, that we're giving up the uh, right to disagree. We're giving up our, our intellect. Mm. And, and, the, and the truth of that is that being with our Lord and being allowed to have imagination and creativity and and to and to dive into that in its deepest ways is is and especially in community with 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 the body that we we aren't isolated we aren't separated we we aren't uh, abandoned and i i just i think we have to flip that in the way that we teach that there's yeah. such a, a an imprint in america today to believe that that has to do with individualism. I'm really drawn, my great grandma uh, was a big part of my life and she gave me a lot of things when she uh, passed away, she left things to me, but she left these war stamps and they were stamps that you could get sugar mm. and, and you could buy tires and you could do these different staple items, yeah. but you could only buy them like on certain days of the week. Mm. And the reason was because their sons and daughters were across the ocean fighting for a cause and that the people at home wanted to be a part of that and they wanted to sacrifice yeah. for the good of the com of the common good they yeah. wanted to sacrifice for their children and for the freedom yeah. of the country and and you know we do get asked in the body to sacrifice for one another yeah and 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 it, it there's a great unity but i i and, and it's what made america great originally but mm -hmm. this this um you know unbridled individualism yeah it, it creates neurosis and it makes us um it makes us really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Wanna, oh, go ahead, please. I was just going to mention, you know, there's this belief of like, why do we need to go to church? I can worship right. just fine from my living room with my family at the kitchen table at the beach outside. Right. Yeah. yeah. And yes, we can. And let's do worship from all those places. Yeah. But gathering is sacred. It is sacred. And it's it's in our DNA to be together. Yeah. And I think what you were mentioning, you know, about this grand party, I love to talk with people about, I, I have to, I'm not a theologian. I need, I need connections to yeah, things yeah. I get. And you know what I get? I get what it, it is to host a party. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I feel for our priests sometimes because I would hate to host a party where no one talks to me. Yeah, that'd be weird. And, and a lot of times our, our priests are hosting a party and we're not responding. We're not participating right. in this dialogue. Um, and, and that's why that the great amen, right? It's so powerful. But what if we as Catholics, we had our people fired up on Sundays yeah. to go to this party yeah. instead of like drudging in, like I have to be quiet for 40 minutes and... Mm please, God, don't let the priest give a long homily or right. have this kind of music or that kind of music. But if I'm entering into this moment of assembly with yeah. my brothers and sisters and I recognize the gift that this sacrifice is and that we're here together, like, 
that gets me jazzed. Yeah. And it's a dialogue, like you said, Absolutely. like like the whole mass is it's a prayer to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like youth ministry 101, love that. But just uh like it's a it's a call and response. Like it's a, it's a cooperative prayer. Like the priest is praying to the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit and we have to respond. We have Amen. to respond. Like thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. You know, like praise to you Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. With your spirit, right? Whatever you know, like we're yeah. showing that we're, yeah, we're unity. And this, yeah. you know, John seventeen, we're 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 living out that unity as one body, right? Yeah, we we have a lot of identities, you know. But Debbie introduced herself earlier as a child of God, and I I'm just um, I am so comforted in that identity. Yeah, so many other things in the world want to uh, attach an identity to me that are really toxic and that I can't, I, I, they give me no comfort, Yeah. but, but being a child of a loving God, uh, and being in agreement with a community that believes they're that way. It's like a, uh, it's like a preschool party. Yeah. Those are the best, right? It's just nuts. <laughs> it's just crazy. Right. The Lord says, let the children come to me. And uh, yeah, I think we have to approach like our entire spirituality as children. Um, I, I think there's this false uh, kind of stemming back to something you were saying earlier, Deacon Dana, was just um, a false, uh, like a, a mental lie that we've told ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like we, um, we're kind of, we're kind of like in this this generation, if you will. Like the world today is in this like two or three generations removed from the the American. Like pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you can't, if you're not self sufficient, are you even American? Like right. you know, like. And I just feel like, you know, generation after generation, and here we are, like that's kind of stemming, or like, I think a fruit of that, that, um, that kind of fallen um, mindset is like socially pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And like, we're really good at keeping one another at arm's length. Mm -hmm. And I think our, our kids today, like our youth or, or whatever you want to call them, like we're, they're really good at that. Because um, like, if I, if I can't have what my heart is crying out for, and, and weeping for now, which is like union with others and union with, um, with the Lord, yeah. then I'm just gonna like shut down and act like everything's fine. And we know that it's not. And the Lord's calling us to something greater. He's calling us to, to true communion, to true relationship. And we don't have to keep him at arm's length, you know? Yeah, Pope Benedict says in know, 76, 75, uh, communion always and inseparably has both a vertical and a horizontal sense come on it is communion with god and communion with our brothers and sisters right both dimensions mysteriously coverage converge in the gift of the eucharist yeah. like that right there and we we know we need each other and in, in in our depths we know we need god but those are not they they're not separate and yeah. they they come together and in, in the eucharist that's why i love to Go to. I love to know the people I'm at mass with. Yeah. So we can really enter in together. Right. I always think about the spiritual life as a gigantic staircase. Mm. You know, like who who's who's with me. Yeah. And I need to rely on them to lift me. Yeah. To the next step, but I also need those people who are above me to reach down and see me, and pull me up. So good. Yeah. I, I, going through going through the line of communion, my my heart kind of. My heart hurts for the, everybody else that I don't know. Because yeah. I look at everybody and I'm like, we're one now. Yeah. This is so exciting. <laughs> but I don't know any of you. I know maybe like 
one percent of the people in this place. Mm. I want I want that, you know. Like my I just know that I was made for communion. Yeah. Um, I was made for a union with other people for community. We all need a solid community. Like we need our nuclear, our, our nuclear foundation. Yeah, we need our family, and we need we need uh, we need good friends, you know, yeah. who are gonna push us. And that we can like stumble together. Right. Because like we're, we're Red Rover style, like locked arm in arm. And if one of us stumbles, then it's going to be okay. We'll get back up. You know that, or we all fall and it's all funny together at the same time. I don't know. Just like um, the, the sense of, yeah, the sense of progress and in, in ascending the mountain uh, together. You know, it's essential. nutty. We have the, we have parish communities and I 100% appreciate those. Um, the, the camp community where every year we hire 70 people to come down and help us uh, run this experience for 1500, 1600 people. Uh, it, it, and then ministering shoulder to shoulder day after day, long, yeah. long days and sharing your weaknesses and, um, and, and sharing the Eucharist and, and dumping out kenosis is what we, you know, we're yeah. always reminded of that, that we're dumping out all that we have and that we have to fill back up. So we're asking the Lord to fill us back up and then dumping out. Yeah. And uh, it creates lifelong bonds. It, it destroys anonymity. It, you know, it really creates uh, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. Such, such amazing intimacy with the Lord and then with that community. Yeah. And it's building c culture. Right. That's centered around something right outside ourselves. Yeah. And then meeting each other as young people and then growing older and then having kids and going through all those different stages, uh, whatever they be. And many of those people, you know, many become priests and nuns, too. And having them walk in uh, beside yeah. each other. Yeah. It's kind of extraordinary. Yeah. And cult, like culture, like something you say, come from the Latin cultus, which means like a, that's uh, being worshipped, right? Like what mm -hmm. you are worshiping together as a people, mm -hmm. as as a community. Yeah, it's like that's so good. Yeah, like if we just look at what culture is, like yeah, like that is what we are putting up on a pedestal and what we are making a god out of, or if we're truly worshiping the one true Lord. Um, something that also hit me was in '77. He says that um, today there is a need to rediscover that Jesus Christ is not just a private conviction or an abstract idea, but a real person whose becoming part of human history is capable of renewing the life of every man and woman. And, and that's why he gets, uh, well, it's not him who said it first, but hence the Eucharist as the source and summit of the church's life and mission must be translated into a life lived according to the spirit. In Romans 12, 1, um, he talks about this, this transformation, right? He says, offering new spiritual worship. A spirituality of the Eucharist is, is, a, is a spirituality to be lived, like living out this spirituality in the Eucharist. Uh, do not be uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, of your mind. That's Romans 12, 2. But just this, it's, it's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of being. And it, it can't end with us. Like, yes, it's firstly oriented toward us. Right. Being changed. And, and developed and, and this theosis this as the East, as our eastern brothers and sisters say coming becoming god like be uh, this transformation uh, this deification i mm -hmm. think that's the uh, the the western term for it but just this that's the beginning but not the end mm -hmm. like we have to live the rest of the call living a life that's radical like he says that like the radius like what is a radius i, I think yeah it's it's not the diameter going back to like seventh grade geometry real quick. I mean, radius is from the center to the to the exterior of an object, right? 
if we're truly supposed to be, if, the, if this is a radical transformation of our life, we can't stay in the same place that we were beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like it, it has to change us and it has to not just change like our inner disposition, like our, our heart, but it has to change what we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. Like, am I becoming someone whose joy is magnetic? Mm-hmm. Someone whose love is truly different and special. And someone, when they look at me, are they seeing something different? Yeah. Something crazy cool? Or are they seeing like same old, you know, average Joe or whatever? Um, no offense if your name's Joe, mm-hmm. you know, just, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just something that's kind of like, you know, stirring within me. I know that you and Debbie uh, are studying with the encounter school of ministry and that they they um one of the pieces of that is to you know release the fullness of the holy spirit to 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 live into that but um yeah i'm really blown away by the things that that debbie says uh coming out of those classes and i I know this document you know was uh alluding to like how the the power of the holy spirit through the eucharist and then that joy that you're talking about about truly tapping into that full power yeah i'm just i'm i'm blown away with what you guys are experiencing no yeah encounter is awesome but easy for me to say because i i help run the school here in kansas city but um yeah i mean jesus died not to not just to get us to heaven one day but to get heaven inside of us now yeah and i i did want to say um that you know i grew up uh, not catholic and i didn't have a great uh respect at all for the priesthood the pope the magisterium at all and uh, nuns blew my mind uh <laughs> i i i'm just blown away in 75 sometimes uh, it says um it says that john paul ii talked about a land you know places that had uh dictatorships and that there was a there was a uh, a practice where it, the Eucharist was um, uh, prohibited and people couldn't do that, that they would take a priestly stole and they would lay it on the altar mm. and that they would uh, do the liturgy of the word and they would halt in silence. It says halting in silence at the moment that corresponds with the transubstantiation as a sign of how ardently they desire to hear the words that only the lips of a priest could efficaciously offer. Yeah. I just want to give a real shout out uh, from Debbie and I to every priest that's ever um, ministered to us. I'm getting kind of choked up, but you know, uh, we, we lost a few kids um, in utero and that kind of thing. And we've had, we've had incredible uh, pastoral care from our priest and, uh, I'm just blown away that um, you don't really appreciate something until you don't have it. And this isn't something I want to wait to uh, not have to appreciate it. So just, you know, in Eucharistic amazement, it's the amazement of the priesthood, the sacrifices yeah. that they go through, the the treasure of their life. And I think especially even for the two archbishops that I've worked under, um, some of the struggles that priests have um, bishops have them even more so because they're one of one of one. And, uh, I've just been blown away about the intimacy that both the bishops that I've been deeply familiar with have with the Lord and that, that community that they share with the presbyterate. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was super moved reading this story again yeah. that John Paul II had 
shared with the priests of the world. Yeah, and I think back to the culture and the um, the horizontal and the uh, vertical. That what one of my, I think, moving moments was attending my first ordination and watching those young men mm. lay on the floor as we yeah. prayed over them and as we asked for the intercession of of the saints. Yeah. And in that moment, um, the humility of that man to lay himself down for us, to give up everything, right, uh, and to physically humble himself before us, and then to rely on us to ask for the intercession, um, this connectedness that we have, I just... Um, it's just so beautiful. And I hope it, a lot of people don't know, they don't get to see the inside. We've gotten to work closely with a lot of our priests and what a privilege that yeah. has been and what a change that's made in our life. But the reality is, again, sacrifice yeah. and what we what's made holy. I think the priesthood is holy. Yeah. And I... I can only echo what you guys have said. And I, um, you know, it's, it's because of their, yes, it's because of their fiat that we even have the Eucharist accessible to us today. Um, that we're, it's because of their yes, um, that we are able to partake in the body of Christ um, in this, this tangible, physical way. So shout out to our priests. We see you. We love you. You're awesome. Thank you. You know, just as you were talking, I, I, I'm, really, you know, Pope Benedict died recently and thinking about normally we would be installing, there would be a new Pope sure. and they'd go to the room of tears. And, and, and I've been praying on that quite a bit lately. And just that I, I think they cry because they see all the needs of the world mm -hmm. at one time and the, and they know the, and they see the power of God yeah. and, you know, they're called Pontifex, uh, as bridge. Yeah. And, uh, uh, that that yeah that's uh it's so powerful to to understand the needs and see the power of god and and that you know god is god's this ultimate bridge through the eucharist to yeah. us yeah hmm. in a little different vein what another thing that just sure. stuck out to me was the importance of keeping the sabbath holy yeah and how um pope benedict talks about when we keep things in right order, then the rest of the things are in right order. So yeah. if we if we keep Sunday holy, which is so very difficult yeah. in our culture today, and in in the when I was a little girl, I remember you couldn't go, you couldn't get gas, you couldn't go out to eat. The grocery store wasn't open on Sundays. Mm. You were you were home, and what a gift that was that I didn't understand until it was gone. Yeah, and. And so the question is not, not how do I get frustrated with society that doesn't want to live into that, but what do I do as a mom in my own home? What do I do as a daughter of God in my own life? How do I plan my Sunday so that we yeah. keep it holy? And why is that important? Because it keeps the rest of the days in right order yeah. as well. There was a uh, study done, maybe it was pre-COVID, right before COVID, but it asked it, it, measured how long parents looked at their kids how long they were face to face and the average was six minutes a day and and that was usually during a meal mm. uh that respite that uh that sabbath that space 
to look at each other. Yeah. You know, a, a mother takes her newborn child and gazes upon it and yeah. they, they coo at each other and yeah. they, there, there's a supernatural, incredible, deep anthropology, you know, that's yeah. being lived into there. And I'm of the belief that that doesn't, that need does not stop in humans to yeah. be, to be gazed upon, to yeah. be a cooed. Uh, yeah. Which would be weird with my 17 year old son. If would. I was right, <laughs> it, would, it would be weird, but it doesn't mean that. But you give him a, a blessing every time he walks out. Yeah. You make the sign of the cross on his head and give him a kiss every time he leaves our house. It's yeah. true. So, yeah. you know, that, that kind of culture and that space to be able to be bored together. Yeah. The space to be able to uh, get bored enough that you say, Hey, uh, let's go take a walk or I want to go do something. Yeah. Let's, let's go do, do something. something. Let's have an adventure. Uh, I think the Lord knew we needed that, yeah. but we've, we've squeezed a lot of that out right. of our, of our practice. Yeah. Like we need physical contact. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, the kind of picking up what you were talking about with, with kids, with babies is like, like, I mean, I, I don't know where this was, but I, I thought I heard it was in Russia, but like they did the study. It was like orphans, these orphanages, right? These kids who weren't like touched mm -hmm. or, or like, uh, had the coup, you know, like right. person they'd die. Right. Like if, if they didn't have that physical contact that they would just, their bodies would they just wither. They just wither. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, we, we need that. And Jesus knows that we need that. Mm -hmm. And how cool is that he yeah. remained with us physically yeah. too. Right. So that we could go and, and kneel before him, before the blessed sacrament and just like coo at each other right. for a lack of a better expression. Yeah. You know, just like this. Um, yeah. It's just so funny. Like seeing like the difference between, um, uh, guys and gals is just like my my wife takes you know 30 ish minutes to put our our newborn to bed we have a five month old home and i take like about five minutes mm -hmm. you know just the so shout out to all you moms out there for just being amazing and, and different in the best of ways from us uh, uh as deacon dana puts it lizard brain men out here so and also just kind of in that same vein of like marriage of like we we have to be drawn from the same source together Otherwise it's just, you know, we're like, how can you, how can you jump a car? How can you jump a, a battery? Uh, unless you're both plugged into the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I echo what you were saying earlier and yeah, so powerful. The Lord has a, I just, this, how much we love our kids and how much our, our, our young people mean to us and like how much more the Lord cares than, than we do even, um, so powerful. No oh, pressure. We could, we could talk about Jesus all day long. Yeah, it's a dangerous game. It's a dangerous <laughs> it's game out here. Thanks game. for letting us be here with you. What an honor and it is and a blessing to get to yeah. just share life in this way and our, our love for Jesus and, yeah. and the hopefully, church Hopefully, yeah, like telling stories. Hopefully their listeners tell their stories, like yeah. the people they're close to. Like yeah. what, what's, what's their story and how did they discover jesus and how right. how do you yeah it's it's not usually like super easy i mean it's like i mean there's there's tensions in it yeah. and there's all kinds of uh things that lead us deeper and deeper but yeah we grow stronger by hearing each other's stories right we can't we can't be ashamed of the name of jesus you know mm -hmm. especially it, even just with the people that even believe like us right. that's what always blows yeah. my mind i'm like this is the same crowd it is a safe crowd yeah i challenged our theology department about 10 years ago yeah to take note how often they use the name of Jesus. Mm. Just take note in theology class. Yeah. And they all came back and said, wow, we don't use his name. Yeah. Let's do it. And, yeah. and what a 
what a moment, right? To, right. to say, realize, and then to say, we're going to do this together. Yeah. And, and made beautiful inroads. I right? have homework for all of our listeners is that, uh, cause like your story is nothing less than your testimony. Mm. Okay. So your testimony is what you're bearing witness to, like what you're testifying to, what you've seen and experienced firsthand. So like I challenge everybody who's listening today to write down your testimony, like who is Jesus to you? How did he become who he is to you? And uh, try and do so, so that when you're actually sharing it, it's less than like three minutes. Mm, because like, beautiful. find me a find me a, a social situation <laughs> where you're gonna be like given 15 minutes to just preach into someone's <laughs> life. Um, but yeah, I love the the elevator pitch, like mm -hmm. the conversion moment. Yeah, like 15 seconds or less. What happened? And then also like the longer version, if you're stuck somewhere together, if you're waiting in a waiting room or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, take some time, go before the blessed sacrament and just write it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you really feel inspired and motivated, actually practice so that it's like second nature when you the opportunity presents itself to you. But um, so yeah, just a thank you to uh, Deacon Dana and Debbie, you guys, um, your combined ministries, the, the your yes to the Lord, your um, you're all in this to Jesus and his church and his bride. Like um, you guys are living legends and I think you're, you're just super humble about it. See, yeah, like you're chuckling <laughs> to yourself. I know, just hear me sure. out. I'm going to put you up on this pedestal real quick. So just, you guys are amazing. And thank you for, um, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for like uh, being a, a living example for uh, so many others uh, around, around here. So, um, but yeah, this, uh, for more information about the Eucharistic revival, which is happening right now. Um, if you're in the KC area, I want to point you toward uh, an amazing website. It's archkck.org slash revival. It has formation resources, prayer resources. If you're a deacon or a priest out there, it's got preaching resources for you. If you want to integrate the Eucharist into uh, your preaching responsibilities uh, more explicitly, if you will. Um, but also if this podcast, if this, if this episode in particular has blessed you, uh, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts because that's gonna help other people find it too. Um, you can do that, and then after you do that, it'll take like a minute or so. Uh, five stars, really easy, just select them all. <laughs> uh, after you do that, share it with uh, friends and family, uh, especially with those who, um, yeah, just who need Jesus, and that is everybody. But I forgot, there's a clergyman in the in the house. Can you, can you, you can bless us, right? Oh yeah. Send it. All right, all right. The Lord be with you. And with, and with your, your spirit. spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, we ask for the blessing of the Lord to come into all of our lives and to saturate our hearts. And we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I receive it. All right. Bless you guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>